Mark chapter 4. I'm just going to read 1 through 20. 1 through 20. Again, he, he being Jesus, again, Jesus began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea in the land, on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked it. And it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on good soil. And produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears, let him hear. And when he was alone, those with him, the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, Everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then you understand, how then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path. Where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on the rocky ground. The one who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and desires for other things enter in and choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Good morning, church. Good morning. It is great to see you all. Um, I'm super excited to be able to bring this uh, message this morning. As Pastor Josh mentioned, the Advent season is upon us. Um, and that actually means that for us, this is our last week in the book of Mark until the new year. And so next uh, Sunday, we're going to start an Advent series. Um, but today, we're going to kind of finish out our study of Mark for this year. We're going to pick it back up in the new year. And I'm curious about uh, how, how many of you all in this room 
um, have ever seen one of those videos like on uh, YouTube or uh, I think TikTok that's like, you know, a, a thing where uh, people have like not been able to hear and then they get like hearing aids for the first time. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Or like where there's like a, like a kid who's like three or, you know, like five years old and like they get these like this procedure or this hearing aid or whatever and they're able to hear their parents' voice for like the first time in their lives. They just, like, I'm not an emotional guy, but I watch this and I'm just like, you know, like, I'm not crying, you know? I mean, it's like this profound thing when somebody goes from not being able to hear to hear. And I actually, uh, I had a friend who, who kind of went through a journey like that. Uh, he lost like all of his hearing um, at the age of two. And then with uh, like a medical device, he was able to regain 12% of his hearing. Um, and like, as it can be assumed that made his life very difficult. It made his life very painful, right? Uh, this guy was like, he had a lot of resolve, a lot of work ethic. He was like, he has a, a decent career in real estate. He's married. He has like a couple little kiddos. Um, but recently he got these cochlear implants and uh, man, he posted this video of himself listening to music for the first time after 30 years of like never being able to hear music. And he's just in the car weeping, you know? And I'm watching this video and it's just like, and he shares this story about how his kids aren't frustrated with him anymore because um, his kids would try to talk to him. They're these little kids, you know, and he can't understand what they're saying. And so he used to get angry. And his marriage is like better because they're able to communicate. Uh, he talks about the joy of being able to pick up a phone and make a call, you know. And all of us are like, oh, that sounds terrible. But like, he's like, man, this is amazing. Like, I've never done this before, you know. And so for this guy, being able to hear radically changed his life. And I, and I think about that as I was prepping uh, this talk, because for us, hearing rightly can radically change our lives too. When we can hear rightly and apply Jesus' words, it will radically transform our lives. And in our text today, this is kind of the main idea that Jesus is getting across. He wants us to hear his word rightly. Right Throughout this text, we didn't read the whole 34 verses, but this literary unit is 34 verses. And throughout this, there's all these little literary hooks to tie, like encourage us to how, how to listen and how to hear. In verse 3, he, he begins this parable of the sower by saying, um, listen, behold. Right? There's like a redundancy that's supposed to be super emphatic. Jesus is saying, hey, like pay attention. Hear my words. At the end of verse 9, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When the disciples are confused and they ask Jesus to explain the parable, he quotes Isaiah um, in verse 12, and he says, Indeed, they see but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand. Then in the parable of the sower, we actually get four examples of how somebody can hear Jesus' word. In 24, Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. And then in verse 33, at the very end of this block of text, he says, with many parables, he spoke to them the word as they were able to hear it. He spoke to the disciples according to their capacity to rightly hear the word. And this idea of hearing rightly, it's laced all throughout this text, right? Jesus wants us to be incredibly aware of how we hear his word. And so right now, we're going to have to ask ourselves, why, why? Like, why does he want us to be so aware? And when we look at the context, we reset the context of Mark chapter 1 uh, through 3, we can understand, right? Jesus starts his ministry, makes this public declaration. He calls his disciples to him, and then he goes on this miracle bender, right? He's like healing people and like, you know, casting out demons and doing all this incredible stuff. 
But all the while, like this incredible stuff is happening. There's a group of people who start opposing Jesus. The, the, the Pharisees, they started asking him all these pointed questions. In 3, 6, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 6, they start to plan how they're going to destroy Jesus. In 3.22, they say that Jesus' power is actually coming from the devil. And so we have this whole group of people who are hearing Jesus' message, but they're hearing it wrongly. And then at the same time, we have these folks that we see in the text who, who hear Jesus' message and they respond rightly. We saw Peter's mother-in-law. We see the disciples who've turned from this life of sin and they followed Jesus. And so we have to ask ourselves, how can there be such a diversity of responses in the very same message? And in chapter 4, Jesus is answering that question. He's saying, some people will have ears to hear, but they don't actually hear. They hear the message, but we can tell in their responses that they're not actually hearing he shows us this by uh, teaching through parables, right? These short stories that are about his kingdom. And as we're reading this parable, all of these parables, we're, we're forced to ask ourselves, am I hearing rightly? Am I actually hearing the message that Jesus is communicating? Is it taking hold of my heart? Is it being rooted in my soul? Do, or do I have ears to hear, but I don't actually hear? Right? This is one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves because the result has this dramatic, like, it, it, you know, it, it literally can be the difference between death and life. Right? When you hear Jesus' word rightly, you step into new life with him forever. And so as we're looking at this text, we're going to answer three questions. We're going to answer, what is Jesus' message? We're going to spend a chunk of time looking at, how do I hear that message? And then we're going to say, how can I, what can I do to hear that message rightly? Right, so what is Jesus' message? How can I, or how am I hearing it? And what can I do to hear it rightly? Um, and in the parable of the four soils, uh, we see that uh, in verses three and four, a sower went out to sow his seed. And verse 12, we see that that seed is Jesus' word. In this parable, the message or the word, it's depicted as a seed. And there's a reason for that. It's because seeds are always associated with life. Right? In, in this little seed is the potential and the power for new life. And Jesus is making the point that my words, my message will bring you new life. And so Jesus' life-changing message is the same message that he preached in chapter 1, 14 and 15. It says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is the message that Jesus is preaching, right? This is the message that has his audience so divided. The message that some people are hearing and some people are not is repent, believe, and enter. Repent of your sins, believe the gospel, and enter into his kingdom. And all of these words, they kind of have a little churchy, right? They kind of have some churchy undertones. To repent basically means to turn away from or forsake sin and to turn towards Jesus, all of us are born in sin. We all want to be our own king. We want to be our own boss. Uh, that's just our natural default setting. If you don't believe me, uh, you can borrow my kids. I have not taught them that, but that is how they act. They are their own boss, right? And when we do this, we're sinning. Sin always leads to pain and separation from God. And so Jesus says, repent, turn away from sin and turn towards me. He wants us to turn away from sin, turn towards him, and to believe the gospel. The gospel, this is another kind of churchy word, and, and depending on your background, it can mean a whole number of different things. Um, but it's super interesting because in Jesus' day, gospel, it wasn't actually a churchy word, 
Like it was a word that people used in another context. It comes from this Greek word, euangelion, and it was used to describe the good news of like military victory, right? And so we actually have these ancient texts that predate scripture that talk about the gospel of Caesar because he had conquered these people and had these military victories. And so Christians, we hijack this term, right? Which is good. It's ours now. Like we, we kind of own this term. Uh, but, but when we're talking about the gospel, this message that brings new life, uh, we're talking about the good news that when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin and death. When we believe that Jesus actually did that, that the work that he did on the cross made up for or atoned for my sin and your sin, we, our sins are completely forgiven, clean. God looks upon you through the eyes of his son and he says, not guilty, right? Regardless of sin, past, present, or future, his verdict is, I love you. You are clean. You are not guilty. Enter into my kingdom. And so Jesus' word is a word of life. It's a word of power. It takes us from death to life. And, and Jesus' call is to turn away from these patterns of self-destruction and to turn towards him, to enter his kingdom, Right, this, this word kingdom is another churchy word that we'll use often. Um, but what this is talking about is God's rule and reign over us in the world we live in, in us, in our hearts, conforming us to the image of Christ, and through us as he sends us out into the world. This is the kingdom of God. And from the very beginning of the Bible, from like literally like page one in Genesis, we see this picture of God creating this perfect place for us to inhabit and to be with him. Right? He was building his kingdom. And on the seventh day, the Sabbath, we talked about this last week, right? God, God rested. And the imagery in Genesis is that he's taking his seat upon the throne and he's ruling over creation in this life-giving way. And then he appoints humanity to rule with him, to exercise dominion, to represent him on earth as his image bearers. But humanity has failed to remain under God's rule, right? We willingly take ourselves outside of God's kingdom. We don't want to rule with God. We want to rule over God. And when we did this, sin entered the world. But sin didn't stop God's plan. God was still at work, is still at work, building his kingdom. He raised up Abraham. He said, Abraham, I am going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the people who bless you. I'm going to curse the people who curse you. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a domain, a kingdom. And as we know in Scripture, Abraham failed, right? But from Abraham came Israel. Israel was this representation of God in this earth, and Israel failed. But our failure does not stop God's purpose, our failure does not prevent God from establishing his kingdom on this earth. And eventually he raises up David, right? David was a man who was after God's own heart, also failed. But God told David that he was going to make him into a great people. He said he would plant them. That's actually the word that's used. It's this garden imagery like we see in our text here. He would plant them. He would protect them. And somebody from David's line would establish a kingdom and rule over this kingdom forever. In Psalm 2, we see this picture of a messianic king who will rule over the earth, vanquish all evil and injustice. In Psalm 72, we have another prophetic psalm about a future king who will defend the cause of the poor, who will crush the oppressor, who will make a land flourish and will exercise dominion over the earth. In the prophets, we see glimpses of what this kingdom is like. In places like Micah and Isaiah, we see that this kingdom will be a place of peace. Right? Where weapons are not useful anymore. It says swords will be turned into plowshares and spears will be turned into pruning hooks. 
Isaiah 25 describes this kingdom and says that it will be like a great feast full of rich food and great wine where God wipes away the tears from everybody, where he dwells with them and death will be no more. The whole unifying theme of the Old Testament is that God is establishing his kingdom and he will do it through his Messiah. And that's, that's really the, the point of the parable of the seed that's uh, being grown in the parable of the mustard seed in verses 26 through 32. This tiny little obscure thing that we don't know how it's happening, right? This kingdom of God, we don't know how it's happening, but we know it's happening because God is doing it. And it just becomes this huge plant that provides shade and refuge and shelter for anybody who will take refuge in it. And Mark is saying, hey, y'all, I am that Messiah that kingdom is at hand. Repent of your sins. Believe in this good news that the kingdom of God is coming and enter into my kingdom. That is the full gospel. And in the New Testament, we see that the, the kingdom of God, we see this picture of Jesus sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning through the world, through his church. That is what he's inviting us into. And so if your gospel stops short of forgiveness of sins and a get out of hell free card, your gospel's too small. The whole gospel, the full gospel, is that Jesus is bringing his kingdom from heaven to earth. He is reconciling all things to himself, and we get to see glimpses of that now in places and people as they start to submit to God's rule in their life. That's what the church is, and this is the gospel. This kingdom of peace and healing and flourishing is the kingdom that Israel was anticipating, and it's the, the kingdom that we are invited into Right? And as Jesus starts demonstrating this kingdom by healing folks and casting out demons, people are like, man, I want in. What can I do to get in? And she's like, nothing. Like, there's literally nothing you can do to earn your way into my kingdom. I am the king, and, that it's, and it's through me that you get in. You must repent. You must turn away from this life of sin. Believe the gospel. Right? That's Jesus' word. Repent, believe, and enter. And now, as you're sitting there, the question is, do you hear that? Right? Right now, as I'm telling you to, as we read this in the scripture, is it taking root in your life? Because this is what divided the people in the first three chapters of Mark. And this is what's going to continue to divide the people throughout the rest of the Mark. People heard Jesus' message, but they didn't actually hear it. They had ears to hear, but they couldn't actually hear. And so Jesus is saying, be mindful of how you hear. In the parable of the sowers, each one of these soils represents a way that we can hear his message. Right? And the first one, and, and here's the thing too about the parable of the sowers. I think we get so caught up in trying to go who's saved and who's not saved that we actually miss that like, these are not, this isn't about salvation necessarily. It's about how we can hear God's word. And so for every one of us in here, regardless of what spiritual journey you're on, one of these soils can apply to you and probably does, right? And, and the first way um, that he says that we can hear his word is like the seed that is thrown on the path. And so uh, in Jesus' day, people would travel along these roads, right? And then in between roads would be these paths that would connect them. And obviously none of them were paved, but man, they were traveled on over and over and over again by crowds and camels and donkeys and carts. And these paths, they became like rock hard. And so this first parable is saying that some people hear Jesus' message of repentance and belief, and it's like a seed bouncing off of a hard path. It just kind of hits and bink, it's off. It doesn't take root. 
right? The sower sows the seed, it bounces, and then Satan comes in and steals the message. That's what it says in verse 15. It says, when they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes that word that was sown in them away. And so what Jesus is getting at here is that there are people who have hardened their heart towards God. And so the first way that we can hear is with a hardened heart. The first way we shouldn't hear is with a hardened heart. These are the people who hear Jesus' message and they say, no way, like I won't, I won't believe that. Right? And then as soon as we kind of reject this in our mind, we harden ourselves to it, Satan comes in and he steals that seed. Right? And we talked about a few weeks ago how when Satan comes in and we see these like attacks and spiritual attacks, it's typically not the exorcism, right? It's not people climbing up on rafters and stuff. It's, it's typically through deception and lies and accusations. And so when we harden our heart to Jesus' message, the message bounces off and Satan jumps in with some sort of deception or some sort of accusation. There are people in the room right now who have experienced some sort of trauma or abuse Right? Maybe this happened as a, as a kid even, and, and, and that has caused you to have this hard heart towards God. Right? You try to protect yourself by believing that something that good can't possibly be true, or maybe the pain is like so deep that you don't want anything to come down in there and touch that. And you, you hear Jesus' message about this kingdom, you repent and believe, and you say, no way, that can't be true. And then Satan comes in, and he steals it. He's like, you're right. If God really loved you, man, that would have never happened. You don't need to repent. They need to repent. And Jesus is saying, no. Like, I know that you're hurt. I know that you have pain. And I want to take that. Repent and believe. Right? The sad thing about this is that this is almost like looking at the doctor who, who wants to perform this life-saving surgery on you. And you're saying, no, I don't want it. It'll be too painful. Jesus is saying, repent and believe, but sometimes we harden our heart and we continue on suffering. Sometimes a hardened heart will look like uh, something that you've done, right? Maybe you've done something that in your mind is so bad. You said, no way, there is not a chance that God can forgive me. I, I, I'm going to harden my heart. And your heart is closed off and Satan comes in and goes, that's right, that's terrible. God can forgive all of those things. Man, God cannot forgive that. That is unforgivable. And Jesus is saying, no, like, I am God who became man, right? I am, my death on the cross was powerful enough to even cover that sin over there. Don't harden your heart. Repent and believe. There are some of us who harden our hearts because we're holding on to this pet sin, right? This little sin that we want to nurture and we want to care for. Maybe we keep it in the dark. We don't want to bring it to light. Maybe it's a selfish ambition that, that we believe that if I don't have this, I won't be successful. Or maybe it's unforgiveness, right? And we think if I let go of this, I won't have control. Or, or maybe it's a, a, a lust or something that's in your heart that you're finding temporary comfort in. And as you cling to this sin, your heart will grow hard to Jesus' words. You'll hear it and it'll bounce off and Satan comes in with his lies and says, you're right, this stuff is crazy, right? You can't give those things up. What would you be without them? And Jesus is saying, man, that sense of peace, that comfort, that delight that you're seeking in these counterfeits, you can actually have that in me. Don't be satisfied with mud pies when I'm offering you a holiday at the sea, right? That's what C.S. Lewis would tell us. Jesus is saying, turn and repent Turn to me, believe. For some of us, it might be religion, right? This, this, this is what it was for the Pharisees. They couldn't hear 
or they couldn't get it in their heads that, that Jesus was actually God the Son, fully God, fully man, the second person of the Trinity who had come to earth, and that it was only by grace that they could be saved. They couldn't get their heads around that. They hardened their heart towards that message. They went around thinking, who is this Jesus guy? He's nuts. Like, we have the truth. And they hardened their hearts towards Jesus. And Satan flies in and says, you know what? You're right. Like, that's absolutely true. You can't just do nothing and be saved. That's crazy. You, of course you have to do something. It's not that easy. And Jesus goes, really? Like, really? Like, you really think what I did on the cross was easy? You think that was easy? You think so highly of yourself that you can put your works on the same level as the work that I did on the cross? Really? Jesus is saying, stop trying to earn your salvation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can turn to me, you can repent, and you can believe. You see, we, 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 when we harden our hearts towards Jesus, we can never enter the kingdom that he wants us to have, this amazing kingdom of life and peace and, and prosperity, right? And Jesus is saying, come, now, there's some people in here who, who may be like this second soil, right? This shallow soil. They hear part of the word, but they don't hear all of the word. These are the people uh, who, who want to follow Jesus to get instead of to give themselves fully to Christ. They hear about this kingdom life and how great it is. But when they actually have to give themselves over to the king, that, that's when they're out. Right? And, and, and this parable tells us that this soil hears Jesus' word with joy. They're like, yes, this kingdom life, this sounds great. I want that. Sign me up. But they have no root. They have heard Jesus' message about victory, and somehow they miss the part about picking up your cross and following Jesus. This soil wants the peace and the joy and the flourishing that comes from a life with Jesus, but when it requires actually saying no to something that you want so that you can say yes to Jesus, we wither. When our circumstances get hard, when you're in a season of difficulty and endurance, this soil doesn't have the depth to keep the seed alive. This soil fades away. This is the soil that we kind of see in the crowds. They all pursued Jesus. They said, man, do, do for me what I want you to do, but they didn't actually go and follow Jesus. Right, we'll see this all throughout, that as Jesus' message gets harder and harder and harder, the crowds get smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's, it's okay to come to Jesus for good things, right? All good and perfect gifts come from God. That's okay. That's what he wants us to do. Jesus wants us to come to him. But when it comes time to follow him and to obey him and to live this difficult life of self-denial and social ostracization, the crowds scatter, uh, Mark Sayers, he calls this uh, the implicit prosperity gospel, right? We're all kind of familiar with this idea of the prosperity gospel, that if I give my money to the church, I'll get a 10x return, and I'll be blessed and highly favored, and I'll have a, a Tesla and a boat and all these things, right? And Mark Sayers, man, as a church, we've bought into this implicit prosperity gospel that says, if I do the things of church, I will have the good life that I want. I'll have my Leave it to Beaver family with my conflict-free marriage and these incredible experiences, and this is a transactional relationship with Jesus. He says, I'll do my part, but you do your part. And this is a very shallow understanding uh, of Jesus' words, and it won't endure. And it presumes that we're actually wise enough to know what the good life is. 
right? The good life is not the Instagram perfect family. The good life is this ride or die relationship with Jesus. The highest degree of human flourishing is in the closest proximity to Jesus. And in that relationship, there's peace and there's joy and there's life, but it's a byproduct of practicing self-denial instead of self-gratification. The peace comes from following Jesus fully. The peace comes from understanding that sometimes God will initiate suffering in your life so that you press into him. That's where the peace comes from. And so when we don't have this full understanding of Jesus' teaching, our faith will not endure the difficult life that we are living in. It won't happen. And so the second way that we can hear Jesus' message wrongly is to only hear part of it, to hear it with a shallow heart. The third way is to have a distracted heart. There are some of us who will hear like this third soil. This, this, is, this soil, I find it like a particularly interesting because there's nothing in the text that says the soil doesn't take root. There's nothing in the text that says the soil doesn't endure and it doesn't grow. But this soil, the seed in this soil, it was unfruitful. It didn't fulfill the purpose for which it was given. In verse 19, it says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is divided soil. These are the folks who have heard Jesus' word, repent and believe and enter the kingdom, but they're also listening to other voices, right? They have other priorities. Jesus is not their first love. They're, they're, they're the ones who are listening to these other social narratives, these, these cultural narratives that say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Be a Christian. That's cool. But what's really important is your 401k. You need to work a ton of hours. You need to be fully vested because if you don't do that, no one's going to take care of you. Do that. Right? Or these are the ones who are, who are saying, yeah, yeah, like it's cool. Like be a Christian. That's fine. But what's really important is that you give your child every opportunity Right? You need to run them to all of these extracurricular activities so that they can have all the opportunities. Right? It doesn't matter if that conflicts with family devotional time. It doesn't matter if it conflicts with gathering with the people of God and seeing them being spiritually formed. This sort of soil takes Jesus' word and fits it into your own life. How can I tack Jesus onto what I'm doing? Right? Or as Brett says, how can I sprinkle Jesus onto my life? Instead of reorienting the trajectory of our life to saying, I want to pursue Jesus and his kingdom. I feel like this sort of soil is like the Christians who, who are like living in the matrix. Are there any other matrix nerds out here that like the matrix? Thank you, Benjamin. I need you to have my, your hand up, man. Uh, they're making a fourth one in December. I think it's incredible. But the matrix, uh, uh, it's this crazy movie about these people whose whole life is fake. It's just this computer simulation. Right? These people are going about their day-to-day -day lives, their work and their school and their family, and they think it has all of this meaning, all of this significance, without knowing that in real life, they're existing in this vegetative state. Right? They're being distracted by this illusion of significance and purpose while this cosmic battle between good and evil is happening on, all around them. Right? It's crazy. And I feel like there are a lot of us who find ourselves in that place. We're being distracted by all of these other things, our work and our family and the pursuit of incredible experiences. And from the outside looking in, everything looks great. Everything looks fine. But in reality, our spiritual life is in this vegetative state. We're on life support. There's no fruitfulness in your life. 
And all around us, God is advancing his kingdom, and we're missing it. It's because we've listened to these other voices, these voices that are saying, all of these other things matter more than Jesus. They say, the plot line of your life is more significant than the most significant plot line ever. Right? Because the reality is if, like, if, if the history of the world were like a scene in a movie, like our plot line are like these like blurry kids, like off in the corner. You can't even see them. They're like top right screen, right? And the whole storyline of history is happening right here as these two conversations are happening between the main characters. All of these distractions that we give ourselves to, they don't matter. They're not real. They're these minor, 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 infinitesimal plot lines in this grand narrative, this grand story of God building his kingdom on earth. And we feel that. When we give ourselves to that, we feel it, right? We feel anxious and we feel depressed. We feel like something is missing. And Jesus is like, hey, let me move you. Let me move you from this little insignificant role here in the corner that's all blurry and out of focus. Let me bring you into my storyline, I'm not going to highlight your storyline. I'm going to invite you to be a part of my storyline. And the reality is that's what we all want. We all want a life of significance and meaning and purpose. And so the third way that we can hear is with a distracted heart. The first way is with a hardened heart. The second is with a shallow heart. The third way is with a distracted heart that cares more about the things of this world than Jesus. And the last soil represents those who hear rightly. Those who hear Jesus' word with an accepting heart, right? They join Jesus in relationship and partnership. We see that this soil produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, right? And verse 20 says that those, uh, but those were sown in good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and they bear fruit. The fourth soil represents the person who hears Jesus' word with this soft and accepting heart. This message of repentance and belief and entrance into the kingdom, and they give themselves fully to it. They come under the lordship of Jesus. These people alter the trajectory of their life as one who is an ambassador for the God's kingdom in this world, representing him everywhere they go, right? And calling others to come and do the same, to be a part of it. This is the person who sees their vocation not as a career, but as a mission field. This is the person who, who sees their kids' extracurriculars not as enrichment, but rather as environments to share Jesus with others. The good soil are those who hear Jesus' word and they accept it, knowing that the Christian life is one of relationship and partnership with Jesus. That's what it is. We join in Jesus in relationship by grace through faith and we cultivate the, our affections for him. We grow deeper and deeper and deeper and then we are given the privilege of partnering with him by doing the work of becoming like him in spiritual formation and by representing him in our context. This is how we are to hear Jesus' word. This is what he wants us to do. When we hear Jesus' word rightly, we respond with relationship and partnership. And I can think of so many people who do this so well, I have a, a buddy in Colorado. Uh, the Lord reached him, right? He heard this message of repentance and belief, and he gave himself fully to it. But this guy, he thought that the only way to do that was by becoming a pastor. And so he quits his job. He goes to seminary. He finishes seminary. He starts pastoring a church, and he gets in this ministry position. He goes, man, this is not my lane. He realized that this is not what I'm supposed to be doing. And so he leaves his church, but the guy didn't leave vocational ministry, Right? He started all these businesses, these cafes and these like, uh, working spaces with the sole purpose of making Jesus known in this community. And it's been so 
fruitful. This is his lane. And people are actually encountering Jesus in these cafes. I know another woman who's, uh, she's in her 60s. She's actually pushing 70s. She's a school teacher, right? She's not sitting there thinking about like her twilight years and how she's gonna be on the beach, but she's going, man, like I'm a school teacher and I view my, my vocation not as a career, but it's a calling, right? And she goes into the classroom every day to try to represent Jesus. I know another guy, he's a, he's a stair rail salesman. That's what he does. He literally like sells stair rails. But this guy walks into customers' houses like an ambassador of the kingdom. He's thinking like a missionary. He's going, man, what is the quickest way from point A to Jesus in this conversation, right? How do I get this conversation to Jesus. This guy shares the gospel with like every one of his clients. He's praying with them. He develops these relationships with them. He invites them to gather with the church. And even here in this church, I've been blessed by meeting so many people, so many people who see their life not as their own, who see their resources not as their own, who see their time not as their own. And they give freely of all of these things to the mission of God because they love Jesus. They want to do this. This is the natural reaction of being the seed in good soil just happens in us. And church, this is the type of people that we want to become. We want to be a people who hear Jesus' words, who accept it, and who join Jesus in relationship and partnership, and from whom we will see fruit yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold, right? We'll see God's kingdom expanding in Davis County to the end of the world. And this is where we have to stop, right? We have to stop at this point and we have to honestly examine, like, how am I hearing God's word? This was a challenge for me this week. How am I hearing God's word? Am I hearing it with a hard heart, clinging to past pain and trauma, right? Or, or, or maybe a particular sin that I enjoy. Am I hearing it with a shallow heart, trying to get something out of it? Am I listening, but I'm just so distracted by everything else going on in life? Or is his word taking root in my life? Do I actually love Jesus and follow him with everything? And what I love is that regardless, in the last couple minutes, I'm gonna give us some really quick ways, right? Because regardless of where we are and how we're hearing, there are things that we can do to help us hear God's word rightly, to help us hear Jesus' word rightly. And so the last answer, right, the question that we wanted to ask is how do I hear God's word rightly? The answer is that we till the soil of our hearts and the hearts of others. Right, there wasn't a single farm in all of Jerusalem, Judea, Galilee, anywhere where Jesus was doing ministry that they could just throw seed on. Right, and it would just grow. The rocks had to be removed. The soil had to be tilled, right? And that's what we are to do. I love what Augustine says. Augustine was this guy who was like, other than Jesus and Paul, probably articulated salvation by grace through faith better than anyone else in the world. And he says, this is what he says about tilling the soil. He says, work diligently the soil while you may. Break up your fallow with the plow, cast away the stones from your field, dig out the thorns, be unwilling to have a hard heart such as makes the word of God to no effect. Be unwilling to have a thin layer of soil in which the root of divine love can find no depth in which to enter. Be unwilling to choke out the good seed by the cares and the lusts of this life when it is being scattered for your good. When God the sower when God is the sower and we are the ground, we are called to work to be good ground. That is what we are to do. And so three really simple ways that we can work 
to be good ground. One, be here on Sunday mornings. Come, gather together with the saints. There is a beautiful, formative, spiritually real thing that happens as we gather together with the saints, right? When, we, when we're singing the gospel over one another, when we're sitting under the teaching of God's word, God's spirit is active in a special way in this gathering when the body of Christ comes together. So be here for it. Another way that you can till this soil is in path groups. Right? If you're new to Flourishing Grace, path groups are this incredibly intentional environment where two to five same-sex people get together and say, man, I am committed to pursuing life with Jesus with you. Right? In path groups, we look in. We look in at the rocks and the weeds and the, and the shallow soils of our hearts. And we do it in community because there are times where I'm blind to the boulders that are in my own heart. And I need somebody to say, man, this is something going on in your life. Right? And so we do that in community. We look up. We read God's word. We, we spend time in prayer, studying the scriptures. In my path group, we actually all read the same Bible reading plan. And so during the week, we're reading God's word. And then we get together, uh, and we will. We've only been going for a little bit, but we talk about God's word. You know, And honestly, just going through this version plan and seeing the comments that these other guys are leaving is incredibly encouraging. So do that. right? And then in path groups, we also look out. We go, man, how can I take these things that God is sowing in my heart and live them out? How can I become this ambassador of Jesus? And so path groups are another very easy, practical way that you can be conformed to the image of Christ and you can rightly hear God's word. The last one, anyone, can anyone guess the last thing I'm going to say? There we go, Naveen. Communities, right? Communities is uh, an environment that flourishing grace creates three times a month throughout our community, Davis County, right? And the whole intent is to get together. We do fun things that we would already be doing anyways, but we do them with each other and we invite people into them. And so this is a place where we can actually start to till the soil of other people's hearts. We can start to help share the gospel with them, right? This, this past month, uh, we had a community who did a cider press, in our, in our parking lot over here. And it was great. There were so many people who didn't know Jesus that were there. Uh, we had another community this month, uh, this month in November. They went curling. Like, I don't know about you, but like anytime I ever watch the Winter Olympics, all I want to do is watch the curling. Like, that's incredible. And they did that. And we got to invite our friends and neighbors to be a part of it. And when they were, they got to interact with the people of God, right? They were exposed to the church. This next month in December, we have a group who's gonna go serve the elderly in this elder care facility. We have another group. You'll actually see they're kind of set up over by the coffee station. On their own initiative, they said, man, we want to till the soil in the hearts of the people in our communities with a food drive, with a pantry pack. And so you can actually participate in that. There are like all these little trees. You can grab whatever is on the tree, bring it back to the church. And in December, we're going to assemble them all. And we're going to deliver them to people. Right? There's another group who's just going to go look at Christmas lights. Like all of these things are fun things that we would do, but they give us opportunities to till the soil in the community that we're in. And here's the rhythm, right? Three, two, one. Be at the gathering three times a month, right? I used to have a pastor who would say, if you're here twice a month, you're a regular skipper, not a regular attender. Don't be a regular skipper, right? Be here three times a month. Sit under the teaching of God's word and be formed by it. Be in your path group two times a month. And come to a community once a month, three, two, one, right? This is a rhythm of spiritual health and formation. 
And so today we saw that Jesus has this incredible message, this life-changing message that's full of power. It will transform us. It will take us from death to life, entering into his kingdom. But in order for this message to transform us, we have to rightly hear it. If our hearts are hardened towards Jesus, this message will bounce off. If we hear only part of it, this message will not endure. And if we're distracted, we will live this unfruitful life of existential angst. But if you hear this message and you join Jesus in relationship and partnership, you will experience this life-transforming power. Right? You will see the incredible fruitfulness of the kingdom life in your life. And being in church, being with your path groups, being at communities are all things that, as Jim Elliott would say, would place us in the path of allurement. So do those things, right? I'm gonna pray to that end that we would be a people who hear Jesus's words and represent him in our community. And John is going to finish us out with a time of worship. Father, we're thankful that you're a good God. We're thankful that you're a God who in your word uh, can reveal to us the state of our hearts, that we can go into your word and that we can see us for who we really are and that when we recognize that, you come in with the gospel and you heal us. And so we're thankful for that. We ask that by your grace, you would open up our ears to hear the word of Jesus, to rightly receive it, to rightly accept it and to live uh, in deep relationship with you and to partner with you in the work that you're doing, God. We don't take that for granted. We know that's an honor and a privilege to be a partner of the King. And we pray that we would lean into that. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.